0: Hi, everyone. I'm Sam Callan. Welcome to this podcast. This podcast is an audio version of a monthly conference call that is done for national governing body coach educators and developers here in the United States. And I've made this an audio version only because so many people consume uh, podcast information on the go on their daily commute or while exercising. So I want an audio version of this. If you want to see the video version in the show notes, there's a link to the YouTube page that has the original uh, monthly call. So with that, I'm going to go to uh, this month's call, and thank you for joining us. Hey everybody, welcome to the uh, this month Coach Developer Conference call. I'm Sam Cowan, I'm your host, and. Today's guest is uh, Joe Eisenman, and I'll tell you a little bit about Joe here in a moment, but I am going to go ahead and make my usual announcements. So those of you who have been through this before can go get a cup of coffee for 30 seconds and come back. Uh, if you're interested, all these are recorded and are available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. If you Google or type in Coach Developer, uh, you should... Uh, come up with all of those sites Uh, and usually in the emails I send out and if you're not uh, on that email uh, I'll give you my email address here in just a second and you can shoot me one I'll add you to it and I'll give you the links to those as well Uh, do ask uh, uh, to subscribe particularly on the podcast Uh, that helps other people find it actually the more people subscribe the more it moves up the the pecking order and a couple of uh, announcements here Uh, I'm probably going to be a broken record on the I Coach Kids MOOC that's now available on developing effective environments for your sport. Uh, I'm actually going through this a second time because I found it to be really good and fascinating and have gone back and recreated some of the, our online content that we're going to be launching uh, following that uh, model and using some of their scripting in a way. And they're very open to folks doing that. So if you go through and look at it and say you really like it but you want to maybe put an American twist on it, Uh, Reach out to Sergio, and uh, he'll tell you what you need to do to make that happen. Um, Since this is uh, in conjunction with the U.S. Center for Coaching Excellence, I would be remiss, and Kristen would rip my head off, if I did not um, push the Coach Developer Summit that's going to be here in Colorado Springs, June 17th to the 19th. You can find out more information at uscoachexcellence.org. Uh, Just a heads up, the early registration period ends February 17, 2019. And if your organization is a USCC member, uh, up to two registrants, sorry, get a 10% discount on the fee. And also should promote the Coach Developer Academies. There are going to be two of them this year. Uh, One is for people who have been through the first program, uh, and then the second one is a facilitator's program. And the deadline for those is February the 8th. If you go to the website uscoachxions.org and click on the summit, uh, information about the Coach Developer Academy is in there. Uh, next month, we're going to have Diane Culver uh, on on March the 6th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, and she's going to talk about communities of practice. Diane was one of the keynotes last year at the uh, USCC Summit down in Orlando. Um, speaking of keynotes, Uh, The conference schedule for the summit is posted now on the uscoachexcellence.org website, so you can see um, the keynotes there uh, are John Kessel, Christine Nash, and also Frank Ceratori, who's the U.S. Air Force Academy hockey coach. Mm -hmm. So during the call here, a couple things. If you want to chat, send questions, just uh, click the little bubble there, send that to me, and we'll get to Joe here in just a second. Right now, as a matter of fact. So, Joe, uh, welcome to the podcast or the uh, monthly call here. Um, Joe got his Ph.D. from Michigan State University, and he still resides in East Lansing. He got that in Pediatric Exercise Science. I want to talk to him about that. Currently is with Volt Athletics, also leads Beckett University, and I'll uh, let him share any other affiliations that he has because he seems to add one every few weeks. And he's also heavily involved in... A project called the LTAD Playground with Tony Moreno and Rick Howard, and we will talk about that in a moment. And if you want to follow Joe on Twitter, I highly recommend it. He's Joe underscore Eisenman. So, Joe, welcome to the monthly call.
1: Thanks for having me on, Sam. Definitely a pleasure. Uh, I remember when you first got these started back when I was at USA Football, I believe.
0: Well, you know, I have a note here to... Uh, that you are partly responsible for these calls, and we were in Atlanta at the first USCC, USCC summit, uh, and we ended up being a table together and found out that we that you knew who I was through Twitter, and, and uh, we started talking, and I pitched this idea, and you thought it was a great one, and that was May, and then nothing happened, and September rolled around, and we were here for a USOC meeting, and you were at USA football at the time, and we ducked out for a moment and uh, went outside and we chatting for a little bit. And uh, I, you kind of held my feet to the fire and said, hey, what about those calls that you were going to do? And uh, <laughs> we launched them the very next month. So you, you're definitely what an instigator uh, in, in these, so, uh, which which was good. I needed someone to kind of give me a kick in the seat of the pants with that.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. So uh, besides uh, your work with Volt, and, and maybe explain to folks what Volt Athletics is and what you're doing with them and maybe some of the other – projects and affiliations that you have
1: sure and maybe i'll take just a half a step back really quickly um and explain i was i was an academic uh professor at four major universities um, prior to usa football um and then doing what i do now um last my last academic position full-time was at michigan state university um and i think this is going to uh, get into the conversation later, Sam, as well. And that's my background in pediatric exercise science. So, um, I, the first 10 years of my academic career were heavily involved with research into child activity, uh, physical fitness, childhood obesity, and cardiorespiratory uh, or cardiovascular uh, risk factors. I, I've always coached on the side, uh, primarily baseball but also holding strength and conditioning clinics and camps, and hence my interest in long-term athletic development. Um, The latter part of my academic career at Michigan State, I I founded what was called Spartan Performance, which was an on-campus youth uh, training research center um, and uh, a center where kids would come in and um, undergo testing, uh, physical training, strength and conditioning, sports psychology, and nutrition counseling, um, either a la carte or as a holistic program. And then we, we also went out into into schools and clubs in the mid-Michigan area um, and placed a intern or a graduate student who would serve as a sport performance professional for that school or club. Um, from there is where I you know, kind of jumped into, into USA football. I was only there for a, a short time um, and then left, uh, I guess, about a year ago now, a little bit more than a year ago. And I'm a, I'm a freelance uh, consultant in the area of sport science, sport technology, and long-term athletic development. So, yeah, Volt Athletics is one of the companies that I, I, I do some work for. Uh, So Volt Athletics is a strength and conditioning platform um, that is delivered to your phone or tablet or or whatever app uh, you have. And the purpose of it is for those schools, uh, high schools, small colleges, uh, could be a sports club, but also individuals who do not have a qualified, well-educated strength and conditioning coach to design their program. Um, I think all of us are very aware of some of the things that go on in, in high school strength and conditioning programs or, or in sport clubs where um, you have a coach who is ill-educated on the topic and they Google something or they have something in their mind that's not very evidence-based And they're carrying that out. So, yeah, the purpose of Bolt is basically to provide that programming via an app um, to these coaches and individuals who want a very sound strength and conditioning program. Um, It offers not only the programming, but there's a video that shows the exercise. Um, There are also coaching cues. And then as the athletes complete their training program, they're entering in um, the information. So if it says three sets of eight and it has a weight in there, they're going to put in their weight. So all that information is going up to the cloud. So part of my role there is to do some data analytics for them to enhance the programming based on artificial intelligence, machine learning, and um, some data science, to, uh, some other data science techniques. Um, so it's uh, there's some pretty cutting edge data science going on in terms of that platform. Um, and the other part that I work on with them is, hopefully this is going to happen in the next few years, is pushing forward a long-term athletic development programming scheme that can be available to youth and middle school um, coaches as well. So, yeah, Volt is uh, one of the organizations I work for. Actually, today is Tuesday, so I'm, I'm working for a GPS company called SPT. Uh, it's out of Australia um, I do sports science for them, um, and also a lot of uh, what I call knowledge translation, and that's taking the scientific literature and translating that for end users such as coaches and athletes. Um, and maybe I'll take another half a step back and just state that's a main reason why I left academia is I was more I, I was becoming more interested in knowledge translation. Dissemination and implementation than just being in the laboratory doing research, publishing papers that you know other gradu- you know graduate students and other faculty read, and Maybe. going to conferences and, <laughs> and 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 going to conferences and talking in what I call the echo chamber. And I'm not so much interested in the echo chamber these days. I'm more interested in getting out and doing boots on the ground, grassroots types efforts to really change the youth sport and physical activity culture in our country. Um, And then one more quick thing. I know this is a long-winded answer, uh, Sam, um, but I'm also doing work for the NSCA. You mentioned the LTAD playground, which we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. So the the National Strength and Conditioning Association came to us and wanted to take the LTAD playground under their umbrella um, to obviously establish the NSCA as kind of the leader in that space of athletic development from, you know, more so the physical domain um, of athletic performance. So um, I'm also consulting for the NSCA at this time. And then you mentioned my uh, visiting professorship at Leeds Beckett as well.
0: So busy guy all over the plant from Great Britain now to Australia. So uh, you're antipodal there. That's good. Uh, <laughs> Um, I'm I'm glad you touched on the pa- pediatric exercise science because uh I, some people know I have an exercise uh, physiology background and and I ju- I just pictured little babies on a treadmill with a you know with a metabolic cart mask on their face and you're testing mm-hmm. out their eo 2 max as they crawl along so that was the image that I had of pedi- pediatric exercise um but I'm glad you delved into that and um maybe even take more than a half step back Talk about your own sports background. I think that plays a, a role in kind of where you come from and your own sport experience. I, I I get just in the years of talking with you that that's influenced where you are today in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. I I, I was speaking in Philadelphia, and um, one of the strength and conditioning coaches for the Philly Union Academy, who, who I've come to know, um, we were having a conversation and he just kind of stopped me and he looked at me and he said, why are you so passionate about this? And I said, I'm, I'm passionate about this because I want youngsters to have the same experience in physical activity and sport that I had when I grew up, and that's not happening right now. Um, so, yeah, my involvement in, in youth sports um, really impacted my my professional Career choices. Um, I grew up in a very small community in North Dakota. Well, that's in, that's kind of oxymoron, isn't it? Every community is small in North Dakota, but there it's was kind two, of redundant. <laughs> yeah, <Yep. laughs> Yeah. So, so there were uh, two thousand people in my community. I graduated with thirty-five individuals, uh, one hundred and thirty-five in the high school. Um, so, I was basically forced to be a multi-sport athlete. Um, but I really enjoyed it. We had the seasons, right? In the fall, I played football. In the winter, I played basketball. In the spring and summer, I played baseball. But, you know, we were playing pickup games, and I drove around in the community with my baseball glove on my bicycle handle, looking for kids to play. Like, hey, there's three of us. Hey, what are we going to do? Hey, you're the pitcher, I'm the hitter, and you're the outfielder. Like, Or we'd play pickle or 500 and pick up basketball games. Um, and also, you know, in the school setting, having daily physical education and having a pretty decent physical education teacher as well, and you know, going through calisthenics and you know, having exposure to multi sports through physical education, um, and had some success um, in in high school sports. Uh, went on to play collegiate baseball, had a great experience there, got into physical education and health and biology. And, you know, from there, that was just a springboard into my career in youth athletic development and pediatric exercise science as a graduate student and then ultimately as a professor and, you know, now a, uh, you know, knowledge knowledge translator and sports scientist, if you will. Um
0: and we're going to jump into the l t a d stuff here and i'm 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 i gonna go ahead and warn folks that uh Joe can be critical and i mean critical in the in the best sense of the word um on here and we may slay some sacred cows and um you know and joe's going to i know say some you know things that are critical of those of us in the g b world and i'm you know i'm one of us and i we've had these talks before and um and I, I know where the criticisms coming from, and so just to warn people there, uh, heads up on it. W- put your Kevlar vest on and get ready to, you know, uh, take some shots here. Um, so you have you really focused on LTAD. I mean, the last few years, which is how I when I've gotten to know you. Um, I, I want to go back and look at the basis of these LTADs, and and when we talk about LTAD, typically most people. Look at Isfan Bali's model up in Canada, the, you know, the American development model, which is kind of, to me, an offshoot of Cote's developmental model for sport participation. Um, what, it, what level of, of sciences are underlying you know, any of these really models? And then we'll get into some other criticism about those in a moment, but um, that, that's a criticism that Ross Tucker in South Africa has is, you know, where's the science in this? And um, so, uh, translate some of that knowledge for us.
1: Yeah, I think before I do that, <clears throat> um, you're right. I can be outspoken and critical of things, but I'm also very critical of myself and the way that I think about things as well. And True. even in the last, even even in the last week to two weeks, in thinking about this concept, this model of long-term athletic development, um, you know, it's it's kind of a hot. The hot thing right now in youth sports and it's a buzz term but uh, you know just kind of being critical of myself and, and and using it in the way that we define it and everything um, but to go into really the history and the science of it Sam um, so I, I, I love the history of what we now call long term athletic development um, and I've, I've written on this I speak about it quite a bit but Really going back to those old Eastern European models, and you look at the Soviet system. And I, over the winter break, I, I read um, James uh, Riordan's book *Sport in Soviet Society*, where he really maps out, you know, the GTO, which was the physical education or what they called physical culture uh, program, um, all throughout the Soviet Union or uh, the Soviet Union you know, uh, daily daily physical education, morning exercises. Uh, obviously, they had their testing and selection battery for those young individuals who then were selected to go into sports schools uh, throughout the Soviet Union. Um, and obviously, that that brings us all the way to Bollier as well, right, because he comes from Eastern European background and yep. even – about the same time, and I think a lot of people forget about this, is Tudor Bompa and Bompa's work, and Bompa's book, uh, um, Total Training for Young Champions or uh, Child or Child to Champion, and then Joseph uh, Drebeck in his book, uh Children in Sports Training. And Drebeck was Polish. So all stemming from kind of Eastern European models of physical culture, physical education. Um, So those are really the underpinnings. And when we get into the science of it, so number one, there's never been a longitudinal prospective study that shows that any of these models are more effective than others because it's not feasible. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, we we cannot randomize youngsters into Model A, Model B, Model C, and a control group and expect them to stay in that track from entry into sport all the way through and also to follow precisely what we believe are the appropriate steps and stages along the way. So to get to the point of has there been any science to show that these models are effective? The answer is no. However, with that said, there is plenty of science that we can collate and pool together on fundamentals of human development, whether that be physical development, sport development, cognitive de- development, so on and so forth. So all those pieces are, have been laid out, and it's putting those pieces together which offers us a scientific basis for our models.
0: And, and I think that's a I, I think that's a really good point and I'm I'm glad you mentioned that with uh, we have lots of knowledge and, and one of the things that I think you know Bali and Richard Wade and others have done is be able to take that and then look at it as, you know, here's kind of an idealized uh, model or pathway, and, and people have issues with pathways too. And Wayne Goldsmith down in Australia really hates that uh, kind of term and, and idea of, oh, if you, if you, because if you get out of the pathway, can you ever get back in? And certainly, uh, one of the things I do like about the model that we've taken on is that, no, there's, you know, you can go out, you can come back in, it's fine. Uh, people may not believe that, but the model is set up for that to have that flexibility where. You may take some time out. Most people do, and then they come back into it later in life and are, you know, weekend warriors like myself uh, with that. <laughs> um, so, what are? So, let's talk about what are some of the what are some of the advantages of having something like a long-term athlete development model or an ADM model, and then we'll talk about the limitations and, and pitfalls um, after that.
1: Well, I. I mean, I, th- I think the clear advantage is best practices in youth sports. You know, doing, doing the right things at the right time and doing it in a sequential manner. I mean, the other way to look at this, and again, much of this hinges upon this concept of periodization. Um, so again, Eastern Bloc concept. Typically taken during Olympic, you know, in the context of an Olympic cycle, four years, but then expanded all the way back into childhood. And when you look at the, and when you look at some of the stages that were first proposed, they almost go in three, four-year stints. Like when you look at Bompas, it basically becomes, you know, mid-childhood, late childhood, adolescence, and then in, in, into adulthood. So um it also relates to progressive overload if you will doing things in a progressive manner and i always like to use the analogy of school you know like take whatever subject that you want mathematics english whatever we don't start with differential equations we don't start with hey write a novel right? There, there are, there's obviously certain sequences to learning mathematics, sequences to learning how to write, and it's the same with really physical education. So again, we're calling it long-term athletic development, but if we boil this all the way down, it's really physical education. Yeah. So no matter no matter if it's a sport or fundamental movement skills or the strength and conditioning aspect of it, or the psychosocial aspects of it, it's, it's, it's about human movement. It's about physical education. So it's really, the, it's really the same thing, and I think that's what the advantage of it is, if it's followed, is teaching in this progressive man, manner. And I think we're all very well aware it's, it's the acceleration at the, early, at the early phases of the model that we're, we're really failing on. Mm-hmm. it's it's the it's it's the microwaving the young athlete instead of the slow cooker approach to it. Oh. it
0: it's interesting i i oftentimes look at how how parents look at sports and look at the schooling of their children and the the huge disconnect they you know they we let Coaches get away with crap we would never let the algebra teacher get away with, you know, yelling, and yeah. doing those things. And then at the same time, we also, you know, ex- sometimes I think the expectations are our kids can do things that, you know, they're not ready for yet on the playing field, but yet, like you said, we don't expect them to know, you know, differential calculus, you know, as, as, you know, as nine-year-olds or uh, to be able to do quadratic equations or it may be. And, and it, it's just that disconnect, and maybe that's just the siloing of life that we've all had, but, uh, but I've used that a few times over the years. And uh, I, I like your uh, math analogy there um, as part yeah. of that goes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, so, so Sam, I'm going to bring Go. something up. I think pro- it probably would have came up anyways, but you're talking about coaches doing things that teachers would never be allowed to do. Mm -hmm. And again, everybody on this call or who is going to listen, you guys are in this on a day-to-day basis and you fully understand the importance of coach education and coach development. And obviously that's where we're, we're, we're lacking in a large way. How do we, how do we mandate that? How do we, how do we amplify those efforts? And those are things that you guys do on a daily basis. But the other part of this is accountability. So, Teachers are teachers are held accountable by superintendents and principals. Who who's holding our coaches accountable? You know that's, that's yeah. kind of the other thing that we that we have to look at. But obviously, I think there's the other part that's a whole societal aspect of this. Like for some individuals, that's what they think coaching is. And and th- and those are parents who watch their kids get berated and everything. It's like oh, that's just part of sports. You know so. Yeah, the 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 whole, the whole sport culture in our country uh, really needs an overhaul.
0: Easier yeah, I, said than
1: done, right, Sam? I, 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 yeah, I, yeah,
0: you know, we'll get that done by the end of the week. Um, you're right. Okay. I, I I do think that there's been a positive movement towards at least getting rid of the overt horrible behaviors that you know popped up a few years ago with you know the Rutgers basketball coach and you know, uh, uh, there was just a whole slew of them there for a while and seemed to kind of die down. And and we've had some, certainly, some not good things happen in the the past couple of years, but they seem to be much fewer. And and, and today, honestly, with with social media and things, you know, that stuff is a lot easier to get out than it was, you know, 15 years ago, uh, where it might only be a, a local story and now it's very much a national story. And I, I think some of the ties turn. And we've had some positive role models, I think, in that area of coaches who have really done, you know, do the positive things and are winning with them. You know, Pete Carroll is a, a you know, Steve Kerr, Popovich are all great examples of people who, you know, aren't really that old school, going to, you know, grab you by the scruff of the neck and haul you around um, coaches. And I think when other coaches see, wow, he's successful doing that, I can be as well, or I don't have to do it that way, perhaps. And, and uh particularly with the younger with the younger set which is where most of us are concerned about for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I wanted to jump on what are some of the kind of the limitations and pitfalls what what's the downside to something like an LTAD model?
1: Oh. I'm trying to think where I want to start. <laughs> I think yeah. I, mean, I I I think the one, the, the one place um, that I'll start is just alignment is getting everybody on the same page. Like I think we have, number one, we have a lot of groups around the country now who are interested um, kind of getting some alignment here. And again, yeah. <laughs> early, early, you said I can be critical. You know that I've been critical, critical about the NGBs and not having alignment there. Um, and we've had these conversations about just some sport agnostic models um, yep. That can go across all NGBs, so not every NGB is creating their own coach education or fundamental movement skill series or whatever it is, because some of these principles of long-term athletic development they're sport-agnostic. Um, so having alignment, uh, having alignment across the NGBs. Now, of course, that's at um, upper levels of the sport system structure, but uh, I also see it you know, at the grassroots level. And oftentimes when I go in for a consult or I talk to my buddies who are coaches or athletic directors, I always talk about system alignment and describe to them, you know, usually I use an example with with high schools that I work with. And that is I'll I'll, I'll take an athlete and let's say this athlete is a football player and a basketball player. And what's happening is in the winter, he's getting up at 6 a.m., and going to the football lift, mm-hmm. and from there, not eating breakfast, rushing off to school, goes to school all day, goes to basketball practice in the afternoon. The basketball coach didn't communicate with the football coach, and uh, typically the basketball coach doesn't lift. And maybe that's why this kid, you know, goes to lift in the football, but he's also probably being pressured by the football coach to, mm-hmm. to lift. Um, but the basketball coach gets upset, runs the kids. They're doing lines up and down the court, and then for some reason he saw some special on ESPN where some basketball coach, you know, is big into lifting. So he gets spurred to lift that day. Takes the kids into the weight room.
0: Mm. They lift. Mm-hmm.
1: Then that kid leaves basketball practice, and of course he has a you know quarterback coach right. So goes to the quarterback coach. This quarterback coach has no idea what this kid has done. Maybe knows that he goes and lifts in the morning, does a workout with the kid. Decides to do some med ball throws, some push ups, some pull ups. Um, you know, and so that's kind of a, a, a cycle that I think can happen to a fair number of kids in our sports system. But again, just demonstrating to the athletic director. And the coaches in that school, like, where's the system alignment? If we all got on the same page and had a year-round, comprehensive, holistic athletic development problem or, uh, program, we wouldn't have these problems. So what does that, what does that look like? You know, What kind of things are we doing for athletic development? What are we doing for speed and for agility? What are we doing for our dynamic warm-up? What are we doing for lifting for you know, preseason, in-season, off-season, for our multi-sport athletes? So basically, showing what that kind of model can look like, and again, this is just in a high school, Mm -hmm. Um, but making sure that we have system alignment. And then from there, I'll typically take the conversation down to the middle school, and I'll ask the sport coaches, do you have connections with the middle school? Do you have connections with your youth programs? What are you doing as, quote, unquote, feeder programs? And when you think about feeder programs from youth to middle school to high school, what do we have? We have a long-term athletic development program, don't we? Mm -hmm. So getting those coaches influencers with their middle school and their youth. So, again, getting back to system alignment. Everybody is on the same page. The youth coaches, they understand what their roles and responsibilities are in the youth basketball program. Same with the middle school and then into the high school. And then then across sports as well so that we know what's going on you know, when that kid moves from baseball to football to basketball, you know, there's some continuity and some consistency um, along the way as well. So, again, I think the system alignment is, uh, is, is a big barrier and stumbling block. And, again, that's easier said than done, but I, 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 I've seen it work in some communities, Um, and again, being a, being a kid from a small community, um, where there are number one or less coaches, um, and better, and and perhaps better communication, it seems to work better in those smaller type communities because when you get into larger metro areas and all of a sudden you have club, you have club sports and private coaches and all that, there becomes a lot of complexity there and, and, and therein lies another barrier and that's the whole, you know, sport business model that we have um, with these independent facilities that have to keep the lights on.
0: Well, I'll give a a shout-out to my my buddy Al, who was a cycling coach for a long time up uh, in Indiana, just up near Chicago, and and Al was a teacher and had been a wrestler and wrestle coach for a little while, too, but he uh, ended up, and this was a, gosh, this was pre-internet really as we know it today time, but... He ended up coaching a, a girl who was uh, at, she was a really good cyclist and lived in Iowa, but she went to one of these small towns, sounds kind of like yours, and and she was a really good athlete, and so she was pressured to play, you know, basketball. It's Iowa after all, and um, and I I think run cross country maybe. Uh, and I don't know if she, I don't know if she played a winter spring sport or not, but but cycling was really her spring sport, and I was always impressed that Al. Al made sure that the coaches for her sports, that he was communicating with them so that he knew what you know what she was doing in, in practice that day at basketball um, because she'd come home at night, get on the trainer and ride for maybe an hour, and Al would always adjust the training to, you know, oh, you got a basketball game tomorrow or whatever. And it, that story just came back to me. You were talking about that system alignment that he, you know, somehow knew that, figured it out, didn't want to, you know, Wanted her to have a fun life there in her little town in iowa, but also wanted her to become a a top cyclist and she She was a really really good cyclist. She was one of our top junior female cyclists and had a uh, Had an okay run as a as a senior, but yeah, there's there's not that continuity especially when you get into those more specialized uh, Coaches where it is the basketball coach is not also the assistant football coach, which was you know the, the case at least a few high schools, you know in my area um, so they kind of knew what was going on with each other, and um, but now some of the big high—I bet the big high school in my hometown—I I wonder how often the, the basketball and football coach even talk, um, yeah. other than you know probably about you know budget and money and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so so part yeah. yeah.
1: So, so I, I I have one more barrier. Um, Go for you it. You all know what it is. and you all know what it is, and that's and that's parents, um, because they they throw a a wrench into this as well because they're the ones who are pulling their kid out of a school program perhaps and going to a private coach um, and, and things of that nature. And, you know, definitely aware of of what the NGBs are doing in terms of parent education. Um, so I think, I, I think that's awesome. But, um, you know, oftentimes we like to sit and, and be very critical, I think, of, of coaches and coach education system. But, Man, the more I think about it, parents may be a bigger challenge and issue than the whole coach aspect of it.
0: Yeah, and and, and a few folks uh, may know this, that there's a, been a working group of us, and in fact we've got a call coming up uh, later this week, uh, in, later in our week as we record this live, uh, talking about some of the parent engagement stuff across sports, kind of the sport agnostic stuff you mentioned earlier, and uh, we think we've come up with some really good stuff that every NGB can use. That's going to be open to everyone. Um, I would even say probably non-NGB folks can uh, take advantage of it as well once we figure out uh, how we're going to roll it out and launch it. But uh, to try to get that message out to the parents that um, love the stuff we talked about, to you know have that communication, give your kid you know time off from sports and um, let them do activities that, you know, riding a bike, you know, doing whatever it may be. And uh, so, yeah, we are trying to do some of that. And uh, I, my hope is that, and I think we've actually, I think the USOC has made some progress in the area with a couple of working groups going on right now to to take that model and expand it out to other areas that are, you know, acro- across all the, all the sports, or at least the vast majority of us because we're all, you know, I, we all we're all in echo chamber kind of like you mentioned at the start um but uh we we are echoing i think the right message and and uh, wanting to do the right thing for sure hey yeah. i want to um i want to make sure that we uh that we talk about the LTA playgrounds that you and Tony and Rick are putting together and uh tell us how that idea came about and what are they
1: <laughs> yeah so they, I'm, I'm, I'm I, thinking beer
0: I, was involved in this in some way in the formulation of this idea.
1: Yeah, I, I actually just posted a blog um, to my uh, personal website blog page about kind of the background and uh, the rationale for the format of the LTAD Playground, um, and I can pass that along to you. But yeah, uh, it, it, it 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 did start in a pub, and. <laughs> Think, think, think about where the best ideas germinate in a pub because people are, people are at a small table and mm -hmm. they're sharing a converse and they're sharing a conversation. Yes. So that kind of, so that kind of got to a format thing that I've I've been thinking about because again, as an academic, you know, we go to these conferences and it's 50 minute presentation, you know, followed by a short Q and a, and then you move to another room and it's another 50 minute conversation and meanwhile, there's you know there's one person talking. They have the stage, and there's a room full of really smart and experienced people who never get to say anything and share mm-hmm. ideas. And um, so that that kind of relates to the format. Um, but but the the general idea and topic of the LTAD Playground was kind of going back to your question, Sam, about you know, we, we have the evidence. We have the model. We have the framework. We have all this. And it's sitting on a website, and it's sitting in a pretty brochure, and now what? Let's, let's get it in the hands of people who can use it. So again, this is my interest in being a knowledge translator and being more interested in dissemination and implementation. And it has to happen boots on the ground. One person, one school, one organization – one community at a time. So we decided to host what uh, is called an LTAD playground where individuals come to the event and they learn basically the general principles of long-term athletic development. We expose them to the ADM. Um, We also have individuals come and share their experiences in terms of implementing LTAD principles into their school community, organization, team, whatever it may be. Um, there's also hands-on practical aspects of it because, again, we go to a typical conference and we sit in a chair and we listen to somebody. We get people up and moving. You know, how do you teach run, jump, skip, hop, throw, catch? How do you, how do you actually conduct small-sided games Um, so like TJ did at the USOC, ADM and youth sport events, Mm -hmm. um, also talk about, you know, how can we incorporate this into a dynamic warm-up? How can we teach foundational strength and conditioning, uh, skills and other, and other aspects of athleticism in a practice, you know, so it doesn't have to be a standalone. Oh, we're going to run sprints and get faster now. How can that be incorporated into a practice? Mm -hmm. Um, and then at the end we talk about, uh, persuading, convincing stakeholders and building buy-in, which can be a very difficult thing as well because I've been there before. I've I've gone to school boards. I've gone to communities and talked about this, and I've had tomatoes thrown at me because <laughs> this is the way that we always do it. So yes. we're happy with this. We won the state championship two years in a row, you know. So what are some strategies that can be um, uh, gathered in terms of that? But in terms of in terms of the format – it's based on um, roundtable discussion. So at, when you come into the event, you walk in uh, to the room, there are, there are literally round tables. Um, we cap the event at 40 to 50 individuals, um, because there's something called Dunbar's number. It's based on anthropologic research that shows you can establish pretty good relationships with 40 to 50 people, right? So we, ca- so we cap it at 40 to 50 people. A round table. Can seat four to five people. If you know Jeff Bezos, uh, Bezos's rule of the two pizza rule: when he has meetings, no more than no more individuals in the meeting or on the project than can eat and share two pizzas, which usually comes <laughs> out to about four to seven four to seven people, right? Because I've never heard that. that. Think about it. Yeah, when you're in a I like. It. When you're in a meeting with twenty five people, yeah. right? One or two people grandstand, and then you're done. But if you have four people, you you know, you have that conversation. You have that pub conversation going on at that roundtable. So the purpose of that roundtable then is to have a shared discussion after somebody gives a TED Talk. Okay. Remember, TED, TED Talks are based off science as well, right? 18 yep. minutes. Humans start to lose cognition and focus and concentration, and they can't remember stuff after about 18 to 20 minutes. So every presenter gets 18 minutes. They give a TED Talk on Very their cool. program or, or their whatever. And then we use the remaining 10 minutes for shared conversation at that table. On that table is a big sticky pad, you know those big 3M oh, yeah. Post-it sticky pads? So 10-minute uh, conversation at the, at the two-minute warning. I say two-minute warning, write down three take-home nuggets from that conversation. So, again, that shared conversation, so let's say, let's say you're the presenter, Sam, and you get 18 minutes to talk about fencing and what you're doing in fencing and how you're implementing it. So you finish your 18-minute you talk, and there's four of us at this round table, and you're done talking, and I'm like, hey, that was an awesome talk by Sam. I really like how he talked about this. Mm-hmm. And then somebody across from me says, yeah, that's really cool. Let me tell you what I'm doing in my community. So there's some networking, there's some sharing, and everybody gets a voice in the conversation now. So again, at the two-minute warning, they write down their three nuggets. We take uh, the sticky from each of the tables. We go over to a wall, and it says Sam Callen Fencing. We put up all the sticky notes under that that tab. Mm -hmm. So then people can go over and see what everybody else said. Before the next presentation, everybody has to rotate tables. So now... At, so, so now you get to meet everybody in the room by the end of the day. Very good, and share conver- and share conversation with everybody. So I kind of went through the format before, and then the last thing that we do is we do our summary and conclusion. And the, how the summary and conclusion starts is imagine the room full of sticky notes now on five or six or s- different topics. Right? I, we allow time for everybody to walk around, kind of take note what everybody said. They have their tablet out there writing down their thoughts and ideas. We come back and then we have a town hall meeting. And that's how we, that's the summary and conclusion is basically a town hall meeting of people getting up and saying, Hey, I really liked what Sam said. This is awesome. I'm taking this back to my community. But one thing I'm really struggling with is X, Mm -hmm. Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Somebody else stands up and says, I've got a solution for you. Let's connect. Yeah. And then the other thing that the other thing that we do is we empower people there to go back into their communities and have that exact same conversation with everybody in their sport, with everybody in the sports system, whether that be a club, a school, or the entire community. It just happened yesterday. Jeff Richardson from a from uh, from Houston, Houston Missouri. Missouri. Yep. From Houston, Missouri, traveled up to another small community in North Missouri, and he presented on establishing a long-term athletic development program in your community. So it's, it's about foot soldiers. It's, yeah. it's one person, one, one school, one community at a time. Because, again, what you all are doing at the, at the NGB world, at the top of the sports system, is awesome. It's really awesome. But we got to do it both ways, right? Top-down and bottom-up approach. We need more foot soldiers. We need more USA hockey, ADM regional people. And obviously there's a financial aspect to this as well, right? Oh yeah. Um, Within within the NGB world. But what Tony, Rick and I and the NSCA are trying to do now is offer these LTAD playgrounds around the United States to get people implementing. Not, Mm -hmm. Hey, we, Hey, we have a plan. Here's the plan. Hey, you know, do you think we're doing too much of this at this time, too much of that at another time? Like we can scrutinize our plans all we want, right? Let's let's start implementing these principles. Let's see it happening when I drive by a soccer field or a lacrosse field or a, a basketball court or whatever it is. Like let's let's see this stuff like really happening. And for us to do that, we need to get out of our echo chamber, we need to yeah. get out of our ivory towers, and we need to be boots on the ground. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and that's I, really I, the
1: premise of the playground.
0: No, and I applaud you and you and Tony and Rick for uh, for initiating it and not just talking about get out and doing it. Because I know that you know, it's a risky thing to put something like that on. Because you go, is anybody going to show up? And you know, and and I put on enough to know that until those people walk through the door, I'm scared to death that no one's going to show up um, yeah. for this, or no one's going to sign up when I post the you know thing on Eventbrite or wherever it may be. And um, and then there's a really good feeling when you get, you know, the four or five people and go, okay, th- there is somebody out there who's interested in, in doing this. And, uh, yeah, Jeff's a neat guy. Uh, met him in person at the USOC ADM conference. And then uh, we were all just on a call together uh, a, a couple of weeks ago that um, the guy's name escapes me. has started organizing some regular calls on LTAD. And uh, I, I, I think those are good for those connections. and. Probably also just to help folks go, you know, I'm struggling out here. I'm, I'm doing some things, but I, I need your support. And I, I kind of got the feel from that group. There's a little bit of that as well. Um, yeah. So there are some put soldiers out there for sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, well we're getting close to the end of the time here. Any any uh, thoughts you have to wrap up? And I got, uh, I got some sort of ending questions that, that uh, I just decided the other day to start doing, so you're my guinea pig on those.
1: Yeah, I think my ending thought, Sam, is um, I just applaud everybody who's in this effort because I, I I really feel we have a little bit of momentum right now. I mean, it might be slower than what we want, but we have momentum. We see other NGBs picking up the pace and pushing yep. that ball down the road and getting small wins here and there. Um, so I, I've... I feel optimistic, even though as overwhelming as this entire charge is, um, because <laughs> we have a big country. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of land, and there's a lot of diversity, including diversity in thought, yeah. around how youth sports should be done. Um, but, we, yeah, we just need to keep pushing this big boulder down the road and um, uh, uh, I'm really happy with, you know, efforts at the USOC with, you know, the event that happened in December and the momentum that's coming off of that and, you know, what all the coach uh, education directors at all the NGBs are doing and, you know, sort of formation of ADM groups within the NGBs as well. Um, And then we have have these other strands as well, um, you know, such as the NSCA and what Tony Rick and I are doing, but uh, it's also a matter of, putting all the oars in the water and rowing in the same direction at the same time. Right. Yes. Um, Yeah. And, and, and and sometimes I feel some frustration there, you know, terminology, marketing, all that ego, uh, you know, there's, there's enough work to be done, um, that not one person needs to take credit. We just, we just all need to work together on this. Um, so yeah, I'll 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 leave my parting words as that.
0: That sounds good. Um so new feature is uh you know, I, I guess what do you you know, some recommended reading. What are you reading right now, even if it has nothing to do with, you know, this topic at all. Um, you know, I read stuff that has nothing to do with L T A D and coach development. People would be shocked by that, but uh you know, I actually have interest outside of it. Um so, so what's, on your, uh, what's on your nightstand right now or on your Kindle, depending on which way you go?
1: <laughs> my, I, I revamped my entire bookshelf about two, three years ago because I, become, I became less interested in really the science
0: mm-hmm.
1: of human movement and, again, more interested in the people skills aspect of it because we know what to do. We need to convince others. We need to persuade others. We need to form positive relationships. We need to build teams. So I'm just going to quickly go down my bookshelf right now. Uh, Coach Wooden on leadership. Bill Walsh, the score takes care of itself. James Kerr, legacy. Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence ah. people. The art, of, the art of people by Dave Kirpin. Smarter, faster, better. Charles Dewey. Uh How Google works. Team Genius, Team of Teams, General Mc, McChrystal, uh, Simon Sinek, Leaders Eat Last, Good the Great, uh, Emotional Intelligence, uh, Predictably Irrational by Dan Aureli. Ah, love that uh, ego, one. E, 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 ego is the Enemy, Ryan Holliday. Um, made to Stick, Chip and Dan Heath. Switch, yep. Chip and Dan Heath, which, by the way, they're going to be one of my dinner guests, okay? Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, so that's the sort of stuff, you know, that, that I'm reading and, and also reading a lot in public health in terms of dissemination and implementation this is a public health crisis, right? But think about it. It it is. uh, uh, What's going on in youth sports is a public health crisis and in physical education. It's physical illiteracy, it's physical inactivity, it's all the hypokinetic diseases that go along with it, and the emotional abuse that some coaches and parents are causing their youngster. So we need to, and we have the evidence of what we should be doing. We've said this already, the framework. We need to better understand dissemination and implementation. And so that's that's what occupies my reading list.
0: Good stuff there for sure. and yep, some
1: Twitter, Facebook recommendations
0: for people to follow. I, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll go ahead and save you one. The, the NSCA Long Term Athlete Development Facebook group is a really good group. Um, you know, good questions get popped up on there. Uh, people come and ask questions, and they get really good responses from folks. Uh, I, I I found that collegial. It's it's you know, th- there's there are no jerks in there as near as I can tell. Um, I, I usually try to be the jerkiest person in any group I'm in because you know I figured that I know where the bar is um, but what other kind of social media recommendations for you have do you have that uh, people can follow and maybe find of interest
1: well I'll, if I start naming people I'm gonna get in trouble because I'm gonna I'm gonna leave somebody off so and I, and I don't and I don't need I don't I don't mean to be narcissistic here but if you follow me I typically retweet those individuals mm-hmm. who you know um, are doing excellent stuff in coach development and athletic development um, and leadership as well. So um, you can find that there. You you had mentioned this call that you were on where you met Jeff Richardson um, or interacted with Jeff Richardson. Yeah. So pe- so Peter, Verdon,
0: Peter um, Verdon from
1: Athos yeah Peter Verdon yeah. from Athos Academy what periodically we're running what we call LTAD chats, video mm-hmm. chats. And so you mentioned the NSCA LTAD Facebook group. So typically we'll post it on there. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll post, you know, when the next video chat is going to be, but that's a great space, you know, to interact. Um, mm-hmm. And, again, most of these people come from a strength and conditioning athletic development background. Right. Um, and, I, and I've said this before as well. These individuals can be great leaders in this space. So obviously they understand athletic development in the context of physical development, but they are excellent coaches and they're excellent leaders as well. Like when you walk into their space, whether it be a weight room or the practice field or whatever, and you watch these individuals coach and lead, they are phenomenal. So it's it's a good space to interact in. I think you've seen that, Sam, and hopefully we can get some of the other coach directors from the NGBs on there again rowing in the same direction and le- and learning from each other as yep. well. Um, so I'm just mentioning, mentioning Peter and uh, what we do with this LTAD video chat. And again, that would be broadcast on the NSCA, um, or announced on the NSCA LTAD page.
0: Okay. Very good. Uh, and we're going to wrap up here with you alluded to it a minute ago. Uh, if you if you're don't have dinner guests, or, or maybe we, we should refer to this as, you know, a pub talk uh, with uh, three folks, who would they be? And we'll let you cheat. You're the first one. You can count the Heath brothers as one person. All right.
1: <clears throat> so, <laughs> so, yeah, I'll, I'll start with the Heath brothers since I, I already mentioned them. And, again, the reason why is we need to understand how to change behavior, and whether that be changing the behavior of a culture, of a school, of a sport organization or of key stakeholders, we really need to understand those strategies. Um, so Heath Brothers, number one, number two, Henry David Thoreau. Whoa!
0: Um, All right. I'm,
1: I'm, I'm. I've always very much been into voluntary simplicity, uh, but I, I think especially in the last year or so since I've gotten out of the hectic professional lifestyle of academia and then the NGB world, really revisiting simplicity again. I like um, it. And, again, I, I kind of rattled off my schedule and all the different groups that I'm consulting for and then speaking, and it doesn't seem to be a simple lifestyle, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, for the most part, um, just getting back to, you know, simplicity.
0: Okay. Um,
1: yeah. And then the the, the last one, I, I, I'd i be remiss not to invite them and have him as a, as a dinner guest, and that's my Ph.D. mentor, uh, Professor Bob Molina. Um, I think he oftentimes gets forgotten in this space, and people – it, and it's really interesting, Sam. I have colleagues from the U.K. at uh, you know, English Premier League Academies. Everybody knows Bob Molina in Europe
0: because wow. he's, been, he's,
1: been, he's been invited over to Europe to give talks about growth, maturation – you know, really fundamental underpinnings of, you know, kids growing and maturing and going through adolescence and and the consequences that that has on physical development, physical performance. And yet so many American strength and conditioning coaches, coach developers have never even heard of them before. Uh, definitely, a you know, a pioneer in this area of growth maturation activity slash pediatric exercise science. Um, so just to sit down and I mean I've been, I've actually been emailing him probably more now in the last month or so um related to another project on long term athletic development cuz his historical mind on on this area is amazing as Fantastic. well um just just a just a brilliant mind in this space of pediatric exercise science and youth sports and literally wrote the textbook called growth maturation and physical activity and has you know 400 plus you know Scientific publications.
0: I, you know, it's funny you mention that. Uh, it, that book is on my shelf, uh, hmm. and I kept thinking oh, that name seems familiar. And I, I, and honestly, I'm probably much more familiar with Claude Bouchard and Oded Baror yeah. than yeah. I when Bob, although he is the lead author on that one. But uh, because I've had some interactions with Claude Bouchard or had some years ago, and so you know, you kind of know that. But that's very cool. Um, yeah. Well, great. Good. Good list. Um, thanks for your time. Like I said, we're we're coming up on the on the hour here. And I, I try to keep these. Uh, John Kessel cringes whenever he hears the word "try," but I do uh, what I can to keep these at an hour. And uh, so I want to thank you for your time, and uh, I want to thank everybody for joining us today. And uh, hope everybody has a, a good rest of your month. And we'll talk to you again in March. So thanks, everybody. Hey, once again, thanks for joining us on this audio podcast. I want to uh, put a shout out to Lee Rosefair, who provided the music for the uh, intro as well as for this credit roll. So, thank you, and good luck in your coaching.